episode on our podcast that is aimed to spread cultural awareness here in the United States and around the globe. We get you closer to many cultures for you to do good business, for you to uh, have harmonious relationships, and also to increase productivity. My name is Mona with Monalu International, and I do work with leaders and organizations that are seeking to enhance their cultural mindfulness so they can increase productivity, harmony, and team performance. And today we have special guests with me and also a co-host for the first time. And I will let them introduce themselves. We uh, are discussing today India and Pakistan. A lot of people are not so much knowledgeable about the two countries and we'd like them to get closer to their culture, values, demographics, beliefs, and everything that can help you understand these two countries and their people. We'll start with, first of all, I'm going to start with David. David, my co-host, please, David, tell us, tell us who you are, tell these gentlemen who you are, and we'll uh, go to our guests. Oh, thank you, thank you. My graduate work was in cross-cultural psychology at Michigan State University, and I've devoted most of my life to helping people understand how they can transcend uh, culture to be able to work and live and foster relationships across cultural lines. And I'm looking forward to participating in that capacity uh, in the podcast. So that's a little bit about me. Excellent. Now we'll go to India. We have Sanjay Parekh. Now, is it Parekh or Parekh? Parekh, yes. 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 And we pronounce it Parek. Yes, that's right. Very good. Sanjay, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm Sanjay Parekh. I have uh, uh, been brought up in India. I was born and brought up in India. And I come from the city of Mumbai, which is also the commercial capital of India. That's where the stock exchange and the Bollywood is. So pretty well known because of that. And uh, I've had the experience of working with uh, uh, Pakistan uh, because we had a manufacturing operation based in Pakistan and a lot of other countries that I have operated in. So I really respect culture. I, I love people from different nations, understanding where they come from and how they live. It is uh, a wonderful, I think it's very educational and a fantastic moment for everybody to really get to know that and how we can mix with the cultures. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you for that. Mr. Khalid Munir, I've known him for many years and uh, basically is a friend. So Khalid, please tell us about yourself. <laughs> Thank you so much for inviting us to this uh, great educational presentation. And I think it's very important that we get to know uh, each other's culture, especially here living here in Orlando, where we have people from over 180 countries living. Mm. And with the new emphasis on diversity and inclusion, it's very important that we understand the cultures of uh, uh, as many uh, of these people as possible so that it facilitates us in our dealings with them, whether it's business, social, or any other uh, um, way you interact with these, uh, uh, with the people. So 
I was born in Pakistan, in the city of Lahore. And um, I, I was very young, about nine years old when I moved to uh, Britain, where I was educated. But uh, the culture, I was brought up in Britain within our Pakistani culture, which is largely influenced by the religious values of Islam. Pakistan is basically an Islamic country, and it has a very diverse culture. It has a mixture culture consists of over uh, of over thirteen different uh, different nationalities. In other words, its culture has been shaped by by the surrounding countries. In other words, by its history, by its geography, and by its ethnicity. So its culture has been influenced by the Persians, the Arabs. It's been influenced by the Central Asia, South Asia, India, and uh, uh, and a number of other uh, countries in the area. Now, the influence of the Islam dates back to 700 AD, mm-hmm. and it was ruled. India was it was basically one country, India and Pakistan. Mm-hmm. And the Muslim rules India for over 700 years, although the majority uh, was the Hindus. Uh, so it's, it's become uh, a mixture of so many cultures. In other words, when you start talking about how is the f- relationships governed, family relationship, your business relationships in Pakistan, they are like in the Middle East, largely influenced by, the re- by religion. So if you are talking of disputes within a family or disputes uh, concerning a division of uh, division of property, then the governing laws, uh, Islamic laws, are the one that take precedent over some of the other laws. Okay. Okay. That's great to know. That's great to know. Thank you. And you gave us actually more than what uh, we expected here because we will go back and discuss all of this. I know, and, and David, feel free to uh, jump in whenever you, you'd like to. I feel, or at least it is uh, my assumption that there's sometimes a rivalry between India and Pakistan. Is that because of the historical facts or is it because of the Kashmir situation? Again, in uh, back in the region, not so much perhaps here, is there such a thing that we can call uh, a rivalry or there is not, it's just in our head? Khaled, you can take the question. Yes, yes, I'll, uh, I'll start with that. Uh, India and Pakistan, they were one country before 1947. It was under the, under the British Empire. Uh, it, then came the Second World War and uh, with the dismantling of the British Empire, the British promised India uh, to give, give the country independence if India helped them with a war effort and they would, they will, if they would, would win the war. So that promise was kept because in 1947, the two countries were partitioned based on religious lines. The Muslim majority, they were afraid that because of the Muslim minority rather, they were afraid with the Hindu majority that the political power will not be shared on an even basis. Mm-hmm. So in came the two countries, India and Pakistan, which were divided on the religious lines. 
uh, Muslims, they went to Pakistan, which at that time was split into two, East Pakistan, which eventually became Bangladesh, and mm -hmm. West, West Pakistan, as it used to be called then. So um, the, the territory of Kashmir was, uh, was a disputed territory because the division of Indian Pakistan was based on the population centers. So mm -hmm. if the areas which had a majority Muslim population went mm -hmm. to Pakistan, one with the Hindu majority, they went to India. And that's how the two countries became independent. Now, the territory of Kashmir is a disputed one because in 1947, when the countries were split up, the Kashmir had a majority Muslim population, but the ruler at that time was a Hindu. So uh, it was left as undisputed territory to be decided later on whether it should assign it, it should affiliate with India or in Pakistan. So it was in a semi-autonomous state. Now both countries have had a had dispute over Kashmir because the that problem has not been solved yet, uh, and is always a cause of friction for over three wars since 1947. So okay. the problem is still there. It wasn't, it wasn't resolved in 1947, and that's why you hear about the dispute by, uh, within the two countries. Okay, okay. Let's, uh, any questions, David, on this uh, topic, on this issue? I think it's interesting to note that uh, the history and the culture of Pakistan is so much greater than its national history, you know, 1947, but the culture goes back almost 9,000 years. And I think that a lot of Americans who are uh, history and cultural uh, ignorant, and I, and I think I can say that because most Americans really don't even know their own history. So when it comes to understanding other cultures, especially India, Pakistan, Pakistan, which on the West borders on Iran and Afghanistan and has, um, like Khalid said, about a 95, 98% Islamic majority. There's this long history of the culture, which is formed over thousands of years, not just one that's come into existence in the last 100 years. So I think that's a really important uh, detail, Mona, to let people understand that when it comes to understanding anybody who may be living in Pakistan or maybe even was living in Pakistan and migrated to Bangladesh, that there is this much, much deeper history that they can explore rather than just assume that everything started in 1947. Yes, that's a great point, David. Thank you for uh, sharing that. And I, I do know, Khalid, I know that in Pakistan, there is not just Muslims, there are uh, Christians as well, because I've met several uh, Pakistani who are Christians living here in Orlando. And um, as far as um, Islam in, in Pakistan, is, uh, is it half-half um, Shia Muslim or majority Shias? Uh, in Pakistan, the 95% of the population is Muslims, and the other 5% are the other uh, other religions, Christians and Hindus, uh, in the majority. Now, as far as the split is concerned between uh, Shias and Sunnis, uh, 
out of those 90 percent of the muslims are sunnis in in pakistan about 10 percent were regarded as shias and other there are other minor sects also ahmadiyya sect uh, then you have the ismailis etc etc but they are uh, in numbers much lower than the rest of them okay and the languages in pakistan well, they have 73 languages, official, officially recognized languages in Pakistan, <laughs> which is far less than in India. And I think in India, it's, uh, it's over 350. <laughs> so, as uh, pointed out uh, earlier, that uh, Pakistan borders Iran, it borders Afghanistan and India, uh, in Ch China, the Soviet Union republics, Uzbekistan, etc., then um, etc. So uh, the, those, the, 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 the neighboring population to those borders, they have developed those languages which are spoken in those areas. So out of the 73 odd languages, the major one that's a national language is Urdu. Urdu, Urdu is a national language and Urdu was forged, forged by one of the Mughal kings during the, during the, during the time when India and Pakistan were one country. Uh -huh. the, the one of the, the Mughal rulers of India, he mm -hmm. wanted a language that because his army was a mixture of South Asians, Asians, uh, Persians, Arabs, etc. He wanted a language which his whole common language that his whole army could understand. So in became Urdu, which is 25% Persian, 25% Arab. 25% Sanskrit and then 25% Latin. So that's how it became. If you read, if you read this in uh, the Urdu script, uh, you will notice its combination of alphabet is a combination of Arab and Persian. Uh -huh. So if you can read uh, Farsi, the Persian, Iranian language, then you can read Urdu also. And if you can read Urdu, you can similarly read the, the, the Arab uh, language. So, but the main language is really Urdu, which is uh, a national language. And then the ne next major languages that are spoken are Punjabi, which is spoken in the, in the, in the province of Punjab, which is the largest province uh -huh. uh, with over 70% uh, of the population of Pakistan living in that province. Uh, then you have uh, uh, the, what they call Pashto, which is spoken in the Northwest frontier. Uh -huh. uh, of the country. And then you have Sindhi, which is a region language, which is spoken in, uh, in, in the uh, region of uh, in the province of Sindh. And okay. then you have Pashtuns and then Parsi and et cetera, et cetera. So it's a, it's a combination of uh, uh, a mixture of all the languages. But, you know, we, we joke about languages, and especially with India, in India and Pakistan, that the, that the number one language in India, India and Pakistan is really English. <laughs> yes, that's what I was going to ask. Uh, you, can go, you can go to a small village in India and Pakistan, and you'll find somebody speaking English. Yes, and, and that, I guess that's the uh, language of business and uh, diplomacy as well in Pakistan, right? Yes, that's uh, also the, the language. But uh, it, the history of language is interesting in uh, India and Pakistan. Uh, in, 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 in the Bible, and in, they claim that the prophet Adam, Islam, he uh, was uh, put, down, put on earth uh, in, a, in, a, in the in eastern part of India 
because oh. in Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka, he was joined with the mainland India in those times. So he was put down in Sri Lanka. Then he traveled all the way up the eastern coast of India and uh, India, and then to Persia, and then to the to the to the uh, to Iraq, uh, wow. etc. Wow. So now they say, well, how come Indian and Pakistanis they are so very uh, adaptable at learning languages, <laughs> and yeah. that's one of the reason that he, a legacy he left behind in, in terms of having to communicate with all those people that he passed. Very good. Now we're going to Sanjay. Sanjay? <laughs> yes. Uh, we we want to deep dive into India right now. <laughs> and so you tell us, tell us. I know, I know there's a lot to say about India. It's yes. fascinating as far as the history, yes. the culture, mm -hmm. uh, the, all kind of faiths and uh, religious diversity, languages. Mm -hmm. I mean, the floor is all yours. Tell us about India a bit, and then we'll go uh, to cultures, do's and don'ts. Uh, we'll Absolutely. talk about communication. So go ahead, Sanjay. So India, as Khalid already alluded to, uh, you know, it is right now, currently, it is uh, the second most populous country in the world, just behind China. And uh, land-wise, it is, uh, from the land area perspective, it's the seventh largest country. Uh, and uh, from the uh, democracy, it's the largest democracy in the world, with a population of over 1.3 billion people. So it, again, has its land borders uh, with Pakistan, with China, Nepal, Bhutan, Bangladesh, and Myanmar. So it's pretty well surrounded by its neighbors. And initially, one of the points that you mentioned too about the kind of uh, political, uh, the, the rivalry between India and Pakistan, I think a lot of that has got to do, it's mainly at this point in time, the way the young Indians look at it, it's mainly the political rivalry. Uh, believe it or not, India and Pakistan absolutely love playing the game of cricket. Yes. Right? And when there is cricket going on at that time, it may be the best uh, team in the world, maybe West Indies or England or Australia, but uh, the tickets get sold at premiums when there is a game between India and Pakistan. Oh. So it's the most awaited game uh, all the time when especially these two countries get together. But with my personal experience, you know, and you know that India has got, it's a Hindu uh, majority, but the Hindu majority is 79% currently. We have the Muslim population is 15% and take that on a 1.3 billion people with 15% of almost Muslim uh, population. It's a substantial number of people that we have. And, uh, you know, then we have Christians, we have Sikhs, we have Jains, we have uh, Buddhists. So we have all kinds of cultures that are there in India. India currently has got almost uh, 29 states and uh, with a few uh, territories like Delhi and Goa uh, that don't belong to a state, the union territories as we call it. And it's again, extremely diverse. It's got over 350 languages, but then there are uh, thousands of dialects. So if you are from one state and uh, you know the Southern part of the state, the dialect is so completely different than the Northern part of the state. And uh, Indians and even Pakistanis, and I could include, I can take the liberty of including them as well, are foodies. 
we just love the food that is prepared and we respect the food uh, whether it is from india or from pakistan uh, you know there are a lot of common food habits and uh, because ultimately it was one country uh, you know just before the division in 1947 so uh, from that perspective i think india and pakistan they have a lot of things in common uh, uh, you know we do understand and uh, respect the culture Uh, the younger generation i've had friends who are from pakistan and as i mentioned earlier that uh, we also had a manufacturing plant uh, for our one of our uh, group companies uh, based in uh, pakistan that was near islamabad and uh, so we've had very pleasant very congenial and wonderful uh, relationship with our uh, friends out there as well and uh, of course it's right now not right now but since the independence it's been relatively polarized but uh, uh, the fact of the matter is that uh, despite those differences uh, political differences uh, people still uh, respect and love each other uh, i know bollywood is extremely popular and very famous in pakistan uh, uh-huh. the pakistani uh, artists uh, actors and singers are really very very well loved uh, and respected in india as well so there is a commonality to that perspective to that aspect and uh, i think it should just be you know resolve the issues and just move on in life and uh, progress that's that's what i feel and i believe and my friends believe the same that's fascinating i just want to follow up on a couple of points that very important point that sanjay made number one cricket which is a natural game uh, is followed with great passion in fact mm-hmm. if you look at the numbers uh after football probably cricket is a, is the next major support because in india with a population of over 1.1 billion it is the number one sport in pakistan with a population of 200 million it's the number one sport bangladesh with a population of 160 million uh close to uh, it's the number one sport and that's not including australia and new zealand etc two years ago sanjay you remember India and Pakistan they played two or three years ago they played in the final in London in yes. i believe it was a t20 match yes um that match was was watched by 1 billion people wow in india yes. pakistan bangladesh and australia so it's uh, it was a lot more as sanjay pointed a lot more in common between us we speak a common language hindi uh, the, which is similar to urdu second yeah. point second point i noted that sanjay pointed out was the popu- muslim population of, uh, of uh, in india i think the official figures is uh, unofficial uh, f- figures for the total population of india is something like 1.2 billion and out of the 1.2 billion uh, I, i think it's something like 18% uh, 18% are muslim so if you add those figures up it makes india the largest muslim country in the world correct <laughs> right in indonesia or in the no in the, the india world. yeah india and then indonesia indonesia has 210 million muslims yes uh-huh 220 220 million so yeah. uh 1.2 if the official figure is about 20% which is what's branded around i yes. mean unofficial figure so yes. 20% of 1.2 billion Uh, yes. Mona you're very good at maths i think it makes it 240 million yes 240 so 240 million. million indonesia has got 220 million and pakistan has uh, 200 so okay. it's interesting 
So is it uh, now talking about cricket and then we'll uh, discuss the, the faith. Uh, is it safe uh, to talk about cricket if we have Pakistani Indians together or, or that's something to stay away from? Oh, no, no. That's a common thing. We, we love talking thing. about cricket. And, and Mona, over and above. We're not offending anyone, right? If we are talking about cricket and we have a Pakistani Indian. Not at all. On the contrary, that would be one of, like I said, that, you know, we have uh, between Pakistan um, and India, there are like, you know, so many different religions, but the most common religion is the, uh, because cricket is considered as a religion. <laughs> yeah, in Pakistan. I mean, they play on the streets, whether it is anyone, there are fields, there are so many things. And, and, and I know for a fact, you know, when I was in Mumbai, uh, when I lived there at that time, uh, when I was visiting some hotels, um, uh, I, I very vividly remember that uh, India and Pakistan, there was a game going on in the city of Mumbai, and the players were partying hard in the night together, all of them, Indians and the Pakistani players, they were together, uh, and they were you know enjoying themselves and having a great gala party so Very nice. uh, the, oh yes absolutely and and uh, i remember sachin tendulkar who is one of uh, he's considered as the god of cricket uh, when uh, he had taken shoaib akhtar uh, you know his pakistani uh, colleague uh, for a drive in his uh, new uh, vehicle that he had got and uh, when they went to pakistan to play a game several years ago uh, they were equally well treated so uh, there is you know we want to focus on the nice uh, uh, feeling that people do still have uh, and okay. that's what I believe in you know so Very good. Those are the kinds of things that I have been witness to and we've uh, appreciated that a lot well, maybe it's the, okay to right now, talk right now the, 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 the Prime Minister of Pakistan is an ex cricketer captain of the yes. World Cup winning team for Pakistan yes oh, right? Imran Khan Imran okay. Khan Yes, the Brad Khan. And then let me just point out something uh, that follow up on Sanjay's point about cricket and the, 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 the friendliness that comes with it. Uh, back in the 1980s, when we had General uh, uh, Muhammad Zia as a military ruler uh, of Pakistan, uh -huh. India and Pakistan were about on the verge of, of a war. Uh, and then uh, they were on the verge of a major confrontation and both were nuclear powers. Pakistan, but they were not declared nuclear powers. They hadn't declared their nuclear. That was in 1997. So there was a threat of a war between the two countries and there was a, a match going on between India and Pakistan uh, in uh, being played in uh, India. So um, the Pakistan president, he flew in to see that match just as a spectator. And then because of the protocol, Rajiv Gandhi, who was a prime minister then, uh, he had to go and meet him as a protocol as a president of Pakistan, although it was not an official visit. So they had a little conversation and the Pakistan president told him, look, we have nuclear, you have nuclear, it's gonna be a disaster, let's, let's go back. And that actually attendance of the cricket match resulted in a war being averted. Wow. So, so it's uh, it's interesting to see how you know sports can contribute to wars and peace. I mean, if you know the if you follow the the, the soccer, Colombia and I believe its neighboring country actually went to war over a football game. <laughs> One claimed that the other cheated on. So yeah. That is a great example of uh, how sports can be used. 
for peaceful purposes. David, you had something to say? Yeah, I was going to say maybe it's okay to talk about cricket, but not to show favoritism for a particular team. I know that's true uh, when I talk to my friends in Australia about Australian football. You know, it's okay to talk about the sport, but, you know, it can be very divisive. One of the questions that I had for both uh, guests is in India, most people think that unofficially there is still a, a caste system in place that influences how people intermingle. Um, and yet in Pakistan, it is mostly a caste-free country, probably because of the major influence of Islam. But I'd like to hear um, from both individuals how they perceive that to be a, a, an issue in how people interact within the country as well as foreigners when they come in to interact. So uh, yes, you are right. Uh, caste system is prevalent in India. Uh, there is a lot of differentiation and this was like back in the day about uh, hundreds of years ago when there were certain castes that were considered more superior than certain different castes and uh, low menial jobs were meant and reserved for certain castes. So there was differentiation and uh, that has been prevalent and is uh, still uh, from the political aspect sometimes uh, being brought up by uh, certain politicians just so that they can have their uh, the divide and rule or they can have, uh, you know, try to get their brownie points by trying to appeal to a particular section of the society. But uh, uh, that has been having a lot of implications as well during the reigns of certain uh, prime ministers uh, in the 80s and 90s. They have tried to touch on that caste system which has exploded and uh, has not been very well appreciated by people. Uh, it's quite easy to sometimes influence a, a big political figure can influence uh, the majority uh, of uh, uh, people within that caste to have an outburst of some kind or revolt and protest. But having said all those things, uh, you know, now, I mean, it was it was so strict and rigid that uh, they wouldn't even have a glass of water if it was offered from a person of a lower caste. Uh, that is the fact of the matter. But, uh, you know, over a period of time in modern days now, when you're all traveling in the same bus and train and the public transports together, you don't even know who's sitting next to you as long as you get a seat to sit down. Uh, that is right now more important. And uh, there are some caste reservations uh, because if the uh, that is for the underprivileged, uh, that does uh, still persist as far as them seeking admission in colleges is concerned or for them to get a job is concerned, that still persists. Uh, we cannot take that away immediately, although I don't personally believe in that because I've owned companies manufacturing, uh, you know, uh, locations uh, across different parts of India. And uh, we've, I've never given credence to or importance to that. If you're worthy of it, you deserve it. And even if you may be from the topmost caste, but if you do not have the, what it takes in order for you to perform your duties, you don't get the job, right? So yeah. that's how I have viewed it, viewed it with an open uh, mind, but not everybody thinks alike. So there are certain things that you cannot distinguish, but there are certain things for us, it's very clear. We don't, uh, we've never ever given importance to religion uh, from the perspective of favoritism. Uh, uh, to castes or to, uh, you know, whether it's a male, female, if 
are worthy of it they get an opportunity and it's been equal uh, how we have operated so that's what i personally believe in mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's uh, interesting now we can be moving back and forth between india pakistan the americanized version and we'll travel back to india and pakistan i um, i do notice maybe i'm wrong but i do notice that uh, the indian and the pakistani communities here um, are pretty close and it's very difficult to get into them if you're not from particular class or you're not from them can you tell us um, a bit about that why is it is is it still operating under the caste system or is just just they want to be uh, by themselves and they choose who can be within that community so colony question um, as far as uh, pakistanis are concerned uh, sanjay was talking about the caste system but in pakistan uh, the, the the equality of people is there is no caste system the equality is really the equality is based on 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 islam and its values uh, if you uh, remember mona that prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam his closest companion was hazrat bilal who was an african slave that he was freed but there again you always get discrimination in some form so in pakistan is based on regionalism it's more of a regionalism separation rather than any kind of caste system you know you've got the punjabis who dominate uh, politics who dominate because of their vast uh, numbers the the, the 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 population numbers in that particular area then you have the sindhis they have they tend to be very regional minded also and they tend to support their own sindhi speak, speaking people in a lot of the professions etc so the, the there is no caste but it's uh, it's based on more of a social class and regionalism uh, in, in pakistan and as i uh, pointed out earlier it's based on uh, it's based on 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 the religious values religion dictates everything uh, most of the things from your social relationship with people from your family relationship from for your relationship with the, with the, with the government etc because a lot of the laws are based on the islamic laws now your point about um, how here in living in central florida you uh, no, you said you noticed that it they tend to be very isolated here again it's as far as the pakistani community is concerned they all have they 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 they're all together now as sanjay pointed out that with uh, over uh, uh, 170 languages being spoken in in india and then india is such a vast country i mean when you think about it uh, and i'm sure sanjay would agree with me that uh, a sikh who speaks punjabi up in up, uh, up in punjab mm-hmm. he does not have much in common with say somebody who's in the extreme south of the country they don't have a common languages they don't have a common culture they even the the the, the food etc is totally from when i go to my punjabi friends and when i go to my malbari friends you know it's it, it's very different so that people feel very comfortable when they're within their own little groups and that's true with everybody you know uh, so in that sense uh, 
I noticed that I belong to a lot of the Indian organizations here in uh, India, you know, Indian American Chamber of Commerce, et cetera, et cetera. And they're organizing their professional organizations, but then they have their own little organization where they feel comfortable because they can, they, they, they can promote their own regional culture as well as the national culture. culture. So it's, um, you know, it's, uh, there's no hard and fast rule about that. It all varies from place to place. Mm, okay. uh, to just add to Khalid's point, uh, we do have, as far as India is concerned, there are uh, you know people who are from the southern part of the country, uh, um, and there are different people. So they have their own. Like if there is somebody from the city of Hyderabad, and just to give you that, the state is Telangana. So they speak uh, the language called Telugu. So uh, there is a Telugu association uh, where all the Telugu-speaking uh, people from that region are a member of that association where they do the cultural events, programs, they speak a completely different language. And I wouldn't be able to understand a word of that uh, language. You know, for me, I, it would be a, like a foreign language because I cannot understand anything. That's why we have Hindi, which is a national language, which uh, unites everybody because everybody does manage to, during the schooling and education, uh, English uh, and Hindi is one of the most common uh, languages that is there. And then you have regional languages. So we have another from the Western part of the country is called Gujarati, which I'm actually from that part. So there is a Gujarati community, also a Gujarati association in central Florida. There are uh, Maharashtra is another state. So they have the Marathi speaking language. So they have their own association. Likewise, the point I'm making is that we there are different associations from the eastern part of the country. They speak Bengali. And uh, so there, there is a Bengali association. So that's how they actually regionalize. But then we could have friends who would be a Bengali or a Telugu or a Gujarati, you know, a group, personal group of friends, neighbors, uh, business associates. That is different. But then there are certain different cultural things because the food is different, the language is different, the way they are raised and brought up is different. So there are those differences that we notice, yes. Wow. So is it and I think, uh, just a follow up to that point, Sanjay, and I think one of the main reasons for that is because we want our children to continue with our regional cultures or regional languages, etc., yeah. rather than, you know, being uh, a little power centers. Yes. Very interesting. So is it, based on what you just said, it's safe to say it's better to understand uh, the regional culture of uh, Pakistan and India before you try to um, do business with them, or at least try to get involved in one of their chambers, because it's not national culture, it's more of a regional, who do you belong to, what do you uh, uh, belong to, so on and so forth. Because it's obviously with so many languages, so many faiths, so many ethnic groups, it's just uh, difficult to say there is a national uh, culture. You know, there is a point that I would like to make to that, and uh, that is that I've, as far as doing business is concerned, like Khalid said, and even I've been a member of uh, the Indian American Chamber of Commerce, where you have people from all, all different regions. It's not restricted to only a particular thing. So business is a different uh, viewpoint. This is what we are talking more on the family and the personal side. Right, so they are two separate things. Uh, I have noticed that we have people from all, all, all different parts of the country that are here. Uh, those who are in business and would like to be a chamber member would be a part of that chamber. So that does not really matter as much because that time it's like more of a united front as a country. 
So whether it is from the southern part, the northern part, the eastern or the western part, it doesn't really matter. Those lines then get blurred there. But then on a personal front, if I was supposed to go out on a Saturday or a Sunday, for example, when you don't have chamber events, at that time, it would be preferred to go to that regional, uh, you know, because then they would have cultural programs. Because again, the dancing uh, between all these, uh, I mean, just taking the form of dance as example, in the southern part of the country, the dance is completely different. Uh, you know, you would do Katakali or you would do, there are so many different dance forms and formats. Uh, and in the north, they would do Bhangra, which is a completely different format. So therefore, from that culture point of view is what I was mainly referring to. Okay. And uh, business is, is everyone's one at that time. Well, let's talk about business now. <laughs> How do we do business with Indians? Topics we should avoid. Topics we can talk about. How to approach them the communication style, what do we do to win their business and remain respectful of who they are, their religious background and their culture? So um, as far as India is concerned is what I can tell you because uh, you know I was actually also uh, in my, uh, the company that I had earlier, uh, I was, uh, uh, we had operations in 24 countries across the world. So, uh, you know, we, I understand uh, right from uh, different countries of how they view uh, other countries and how they work. So a more of a global citizen perspective uh, is what I can share with you, is that as far as India is concerned, they are uh, very much business oriented as well. Uh, there is uh, very little that really, there are things, and this could be again personal, but uh, there are very little things that really offend somebody uh, as far as that is concerned. Uh, so it is relatively easy to do business uh, mm -hmm. with Indians. Uh, yes, uh, times have changed, people have evolved. Uh, now the world is a much smaller place by virtue of uh, all these virtual meetings and uh, people do understand the education getting better, the uh, people traveling across the borders, making it easier for them to understand the business culture, the work culture, and things like that. So um, I, I, I think that it is very flexible uh, to, to say it in uh, different, in simple words, uh, flexible, open, uh, open-minded people. Uh, they would be happy to do business. They would be happy to either sell or to buy. Uh, it all depends on how uh, and who it is and how they are benefited. One thing is that they are all price conscious. So they would want I to- I know going to say that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> They're hagglers and yes. really, really difficult to negotiate with. So <laughs> tell us this, how can we win negotiations with Indians? We have, we have been trained by our grandparents to haggle and to negotiate. <laughs> and it's okay. It's part of the culture. It's part of the culture. <laughs> exactly. So, so you're just telling me I, I just have to keep going back and forth, going back and forth, or, or what do I do? <laughs> and you, you come up with something that is really good. And, uh, and you know, at, at this point in time, I'm currently um, also a, a management consultant and I help businesses. So I, I like to tell them uh, now things differently after having had over 30 years of uh, business experience globally is I tell them that you show the value and price is not an issue. Price is an issue well when said. there is no value seen, you know? Yeah, well said. I uh, In my real estate business, some of the Indian clients, they tell me, Mona, that's your price. What is my mm. price? 
<laughs> yes. It, it, yes. It seems like it's always it's your price. What is my price? Uh, so what about Pakistan, yeah. uh, Khalid? How do we do business with Pakistan? Is this we should avoid? Uh, things we should not get involved into. And as far as the, basically respecting the, the Pakistani being. Right. Now, uh, we've been talking about culture before this, Mona. And uh, culture is basically food, clothing, and clothes, and music, what, what makes, a, uh, makes a culture. So now, uh, as far as dealing, uh, doing business with, the, with, the, with Pakistan, et cetera, I'm glad you have this program because this kind of program is needed in order to educate uh, the, the, your, 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 your uh, audience on an issue which is very important, and that is that uh, wars are not the only way to teach Americans geography. In other words, they all know about Vietnam and they know about Somalia and they know about uh, Iran and Korea, and yet, when this, when 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 I when so some of my clients approach me, oh, well, you're from Pakistan? Is that in Africa or South America? Wow. So, <laughs> so the first thing, if you are going to do business with Pakistan or any other country, is to uh, is to educate yourself on the basics. There's nothing more embarrassing than telling me that, oh, you're from Pakistan. Is that in Africa or South America? And uh, th that's happened to me many times. So um, on the other day, I, you know, I said, uh, I'm from Pakistan, and I'm also the president of the Asian American Chamber. And they said, is uh, Asia in Pakistan also? So I think educating yourself Educating is very important to save yourself embarrassment on these simple, simple facts. So in this program, we have clarified with Sanjay a lot of points. Pakistan is majority, majority is Muslim. India is majority Hindus. So to tell me, somebody who meets me on a first occasion and say, oh, so you're from Pakistan, she says, oh, you must be a Hindu. Or tell Sanjay, oh, you're from India and you must be a Muslim. Educate yourself on these basic facts. And also be very aware of, um, of your titles because titles are very important, like in the Middle East culture. Mm -hmm. For example, I used to travel to the Middle East and I didn't notice, but I had on, you know, you being in the real estate business, Mona, on my card, it had my name and underneath it had the word broker. Then I realized, hey, that's a derogatory title, broker. It means a pimp. So I changed it to president of the company. So when you have your business card and you're dealing with people from overseas, make sure you have a proper title because the first thing they look at, especially when, you, when you're dealing with Chinese and the South Asian people, they look at your title, who you are. So, yeah, right. so instead of having a realtor, for example, you can put yourself as a as a, a, a as a sales specialist, consultant, etc. That that's much more. Impressive. So basically, one thing that I would like to leave with the viewers is that whichever country you're dealing with, educate yourself who or the, about the country, about people, about its religion, the basic facts, and also get to know who the president of the country is, who's the prime minister country. 
I remember years ago, um, I traveled to Dubai all the time, and I took, um, uh, I took a client of mine from here in Orlando to Dubai with me. And then in the Middle East, you, especially in the, in the Gulf countries, you always have picture of the ruler. Mm -hmm. you know, ruler uh, or the previous ruler, Sheikh Zayed bin uh, uh, Zayed, or uh, you have Sheikh Mohammed bin uh, Sheikh Mohammed in uh, Dubai. So it is very, it's very embarrassing when you are sitting with, in the car with your host in Dubai, and the guy is looking around and saying, hey, "Who's that guy over there? Why has he got so many pictures? Why is, who's this guy?" So please get to know one or two most important people in that country when you're visiting. Yes. That's a, and then also, if we want to do business here in Central Florida, we have the American Pakistani Chamber of Commerce of Central Florida. Uh, we have branches in Pakistan also, so we can help you uh, to deal. If you're visiting Pakistan for business, we can uh, give you the basic pack. We can sit down with you, provide you the services, etc., so that you are you are not totally. Uh, totally ignorant of, uh, of of the culture, of the business practices, and and then the people you're going to be dealing with. Thank you for that, um, Khalid. I do know that the Pakistani culture, and I ask you because I want the viewers and the listeners to hear it from people from that part of the world and hear it from them rather than me talking. I do know that uh, the culture is very much a collective culture from any collective country where there is hierarchy. There is respect, respect for hierarchy, and there is a non-direct communication. You just, just like you said, you have to educate yourself and be respectful of uh, people's statuses because they do deal with statuses. And when they call you, they will always call you either if you're a doctor, you go by a doctor, and it's so much attached to your personality um, rather than here, sometimes, like in university, I remember one day I called my professor, hi, Dr. Kyle. He said, don't you ever call me doctor until you see me inside the operation room. So titles of what you do are not so much attached to who you are. But in that part of the world, in that culture, titles means status, means where do you belong in society? And if you're not a doctor, you're not an attorney, you're not an engineer, they call you professor. And that's basically uh, the name that it's given. I let David ask any question he has. And I, and I just want to share something real quick of what you said. And I can relate to that. Uh, I am from Morocco. And when I came here, I was so surprise, shocked at the level of uh, awareness, at the level of ignorance. And I was asked the question, where are you from? And I said, I was from Morocco. And the man that asked the question, he said, where the hell is that? <laughs> oh my gosh. And it's like, I, 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 it's just like, he smacked me on the face. Number one is so rude. To be in my culture is so rude to respond that way. And it's so shocking for an, an adult not to know geography, especially when coming from a country where five-year-old will tell you where the whole world is located. So that's something that people have to be aware of. 
the other thing before uh, I know David is is waiting and we'll give him the chance to speak is that be aware of what's important to people. Uh, and I'll give an example just uh, happened a couple of days ago. I was talking to a customer on Thursday. We communicated on Thursday. We communicated yesterday morning and we were ready to do business. However, at four o'clock, I stopped hearing from him and he was ready to sign the paperwork for the contract. And I'm saying to myself, okay, what happened? And you know how you, you're assuming all kinds of things if you don't know. But this morning I sent a, a message. I said, Mr. Soso, we are waiting because we have to enter into this phase and we have to get these paperwork before you do. And he responded, Mona, I am not trying to ignore you. I am observing the Sabbath and I don't do business. Get back with me until Monday. So speaking with that, which will go back and we have to be mindful also of what's important to people, their religious holidays, get to know the person. Sometimes they may not tell you, but is, is it okay to ask the question? If he did not tell me, I would not know. So David, I know you're shaking your head. Uh, you have a lot to ask. Go ahead, please, before we go to the next uh, uh, segment. I really do think that the issue of finding out what is important to people, you just can't stress that enough because a lot of Americans especially will rush into uh, a cross-cultural uh, relationship or situation completely blind and almost ignorant of the fact that this other person has grown up and learned that certain things should be respected, like taking your shoes off at the front door. Um, and those practices are neither right or wrong, they're important. And it's this understanding that what really makes us unique as a species, as human beings, is the ability to recognize that other people have learned that there are things that are important to them. And the way that we demonstrate our respect and love for them is that we want to find out what's important so that we too can be respectful. That leads me to the question on humor. A lot of people make the mistake of in communicating with somebody of a different culture, telling jokes that they think are funny, but that frequently can be extremely embarrassing for the person who's listening. For example, um, uh, a non-Christian person talking to a Muslim who might think making a joke about Muhammad is funny, and yet it's considered almost, well, it's sacrilegious. It's, it's one of those things that you should just never do because it's important to the person. And if it's important, it deserves a place of sacredness. So I'd, I'd like to hear both Khalid and uh, Sanjay talk about humor and how humor is different in their dealings. Sanjay, you go first. Huh? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I'll just jump into that, but there was just one point that I wanted to circle back on what we were just talking earlier. And if I may take a minute, just uh, saying something, uh, 
some things like you know when you're addressing a person especially in a country like india um, and i'm pretty sure to, with pakistan to an extent too that if you say to somebody you you respect somebody by calling them mr so and so mr parekh or mr munir you know that would be more respectful uh, usually in these countries in india uh, we don't say any call anybody real, literally by their first name unless they are junior to us right whereas whereas in the us even if it's a 80 year old person you would call them by their first name even if they are the chairman or the ceo of the company you would just call them by their first name that's pretty disrespectful in a country like india and these are the kind of uh, differences in 1989 when uh, my father and i traveled uh, to the us uh, to sign a collaboration with a company uh, in chicago at that time they didn't know where india was on the map and you know from us it was extremely surprising and shocking because we knew more is in the us then they knew themselves uh so uh and talking again about the culture and what is respectful uh i vividly remember i was in china once uh visiting a company and uh, out of respect when they treat you out you know the the father of the gentleman who was uh, uh taking us out for dinner he came around the table and he offered everybody a cigarette and i could feel that that, that cigarette was very expensive and you know he wanted to take good care of us uh and because i don't uh, smoke so i respectfully declined i said you know thank you very much i don't smoke and he went around the room and uh, my colleague told me he said sanjay did you know what you have done i said no he said you've just offended him i said how so he said well because uh, uh, you didn't accept the cigarette that he gave you i said well because i don't smoke and i didn't want him to waste an expensive cigarette so i said that i am you know i don't smoke thank you he said he doesn't care if you smoke or not but he wants you to have it because he's given it to you so you cannot refuse him you know these there are so many kinds of things and what khalid already mentioned earlier that just knowing about what are the things that can be liked and disliked by people can go a long way like when you go to japan when we used to do business in japan at that time calling everybody referring after their name calling them san is very respectful you know uh masoshi san or those kinds of things is very respectful likewise all countries have it and uh, that's where i was just thinking of vividly those examples i thought thought i'll bring it up to come to your point as far as humor is concerned again uh, i think humor when it comes to uh, the don'ts of the humor would be when you know you are uh, again talking about culture about religion because these things are so sacrosanct uh, to the individuals that they are not comfortable doing that and uh, that is something that's a strict no no there are a lot of things in the us that one can just get away with which uh, would not be very well received uh, in india or with the indian community uh, when you're making a joke uh, you know just some time ago there was on amazon there was you know uh, uh, the, it was a very big story that you know became pretty it blew out of proportion in india when the sacred god of india you know when they had put their um, uh, the picture of that on a doormat that was extremely disrespectful uh you know the flag uh, you just don't wear the flag like it is worn sometimes in different forms in the united states you could wear a shirt or you could wear a uh, uh, even your uh, shorts could be like that of an american flag and it's perfectly okay but that is not okay in in the indian community they don't respect that and uh, uh, amazon had to take that product off uh, and they because they, and they had to apologize to the community that you know we am sorry we did not mean to offend you so uh, as i think those are the things that are more touchy 
Uh, other than that, I think uh, humor is uh, pretty well accepted, well received, and uh, uh, you know, making a joke of a political leader would not be as offensive, uh, probably uh, because everybody does mimicry. You know, they would mimic them and things like that. So that's pretty okay. That I think we can get away with. Yeah, um, just a follow up to a couple of points that Sanjay mentioned. That in India and Pakistan, we are brought up to respect our elders. Yes. And uh, even if they, you know, we will we'll use words like Sheikh and uh, uh, Sheikh or Malik Saab and stuff like that. And that is a tradition that has been carried on since the British time. Because uh, that's the way they used to be addressed, the British officers, etc. And uh, so it's very important. It's also very important that when you, if, if there's a family that's coming to do business with you, is not to ignore the person that that's their father or their father-in-law or an elder person, just thinking like we do here that he's not really the decision maker. You know, it's probably the we think that the decision makers are probably the two people we're showing a house to. The younger couple. Well, that's not the case because the children, maybe in the end, will be that their father or their or their father-in-law, whoever that elder person is, and that's very important. Also, if you if you are really dealing with, say, a chairman or a CEO of a major company, and they're coming to visit you in your office, make sure you take some advice from somebody, call somebody to your office. And just tell them to have a look around. There's nothing offensive. And I'll give you an example of this. Back in the 80s, when I was in investment banking, I went to, uh, I was uh, trying to do a deal between a Middle East group and, uh, and an investment bank in London. Well, I went to visit the investment banker who was, ha happened to be the chairman of a major bank, investment bank. And I saw that he had a rug on his floor with the names uh, uh, of the Prophet Muhammad. And people were stepping on it. And I said to well, this is not right. In fact, what it was, those pieces are to be hung on the wall and not to be used as, 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 uh, as doormat and stuff like that. But nobody ever pointed that to him. I had to point that out before the, the CEOs of these other companies came to visit them. I said, look, they're going to walk in, they're going to walk out again if you don't do that. So there are these little things uh, that matter, but they can be your uh, deal breakers. Mm -hmm. As far as humor is concerned, I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's a, as Sanjay pointed out, it's a, it's a no no in any kind of initial meetings and so on. I'd rather spend more time in understanding the culture of that person. For example, I have, uh, and, and don't assume anything, don't try and be smart. I mean, a number of times I've had people come to me, uh, come to me and say, uh, Namaste. Oh, you're from India, huh? Namaste. Well, you know, Namaste is used in India. I mean, I use it to greet my Indian friends also, but I'm in a different situation. In Pakistan, we use Salaam Alaikum. And I'm sure, uh, the, the, I'm sure Sanjay has the same issues sometimes, you know, using greeting words which are not really used in India, but somewhere in the Middle East, etc. So trying to understand the, the, the person's culture, his country is very, very important. And, uh, you know, jokes initially concerning anybody is no-no because you never know who that person is. 
uh, related to the person, politician you're making the joke of, et cetera, et cetera. And in a word, really, Mona, it's a, it's a formal culture. Compared to the US, it, where it's informal culture. So, so until you build up that relationship, then you have to be formal with your, with your, with your clients. Yeah, yeah. And um, I will add to both Sanjay and uh, Khalid, I mean, humor, um, if you are going to make a joke, make a joke on yourself, but not others. And at the same time, if, if I am an outsider, for example, yes, I do understand if uh, both Indians are joking about their politicians and uh, making fun of them, I, as an outsider, cannot do the same. So uh, coming in into um, an environment where two Indians are talking, I am barging in, uh, trying to connect with them and say the same thing and start making fun of their religious leaders or politician is a no-no. Let them do the, <laughs> the work. I say remain respectful. Don't get involved in those jokes at all, just to be safe. Now, next thing, and we're going to wrap it up so soon. I am enjoying this conversation and I don't want it to end but we have to uh, say goodbye at one point. How do we resolve conflict? Let's say we have a misunderstanding. Um, do we say face, don't say anything or we take somebody aside and talk to him privately? I know that uh, we cannot just give feedback uh, in the middle of a table where there are people. How, what is the best way? to uh, solve conflicts if we are with Indians and Pakistanis. Khalid? Well, the, we, uh, it depends what the conflict is about and who is involved in the conflict. I mean, I'm a very cool person. I listen to the other person and try to resolve, uh, resolve a conflict between ourselves. Uh, conflict is always about money, which is the main thing, uh, et cetera. You know, being in the real estate business, we're always having conflict with our fellow realtors on, on, on issues, et cetera. But um, in, in, in a wider context, uh, in Pakistan, for example, conflicts are resolved by the, uh, they, they have in various areas what they call the tribal system. Conflicts are, revolved, uh, are resolved by the elders of that village, the elders of that tribe, the elders of the family, et cetera, et cetera, in a very amicable way. Uh -huh. And that is something that we are taught uh, right at, uh, at, at an early age. So it's, uh, that's uh, how conflict is all in, in, in Pakistan. Uh, individual conflicts, I mean, of course, you go and get an attorney here, don't you? <laughs> so get the attorney involved. <laughs> So when you look at the bill he's going to give you, then you tend to say, well, you know what, I will resolve the conflict right here and there before he goes to the Supreme Court. Are they, like with Pakistanis, let me put it this way, are they confrontational or do they rather say face? Pakistanis are very, uh, they're, they're, they're very uh, calm about things and they rather resolve problems between themselves rather than have their uh, linen being washed, uh, the dirty linen being washed out there. They're very conscious of keeping everything, everything within the confines of the family or the confines of their little group. 
uh, before you know, rather than getting out there. And one of the things is that uh, in, in all communities, Indian Pakistani communities, so we're very sensitive to any of these issues getting out there to the wider, to the, to the wider community. And there's a reason for that as well. Uh, you know, we, we have to think of our children. We have to think of uh, when they become marriageable age, find a partner for them within our community here. So we don't want to have anything negative said about our family by a third person. And that can uh, that, that affect the future of our children, et cetera. So we're very sensitive as far as that is concerned. Uh, we're not very confrontational. And I find that with my Indian friends also. They want to just resolve in an amicable way and get it out because we are more sensitive about this becoming a bigger issue and affecting our future generation, our relationship with other families, et cetera. And that does happen. So basically reputation. You, yes. you are very careful yes. about your reputation and the community and safe face is the key. Um, Sanjay. Yes. I would, uh, you know, um, take a little broader perspective to this uh, question. And uh, while Khalid very specifically and wonderfully answered, uh, you know, what he had to say, I, I look at this slightly differently. A, I personally believe, and you rightly just said, Mona, that uh, this is... Uh, reputation is very important and therefore not being confrontational is one of the key things that is observed but as far as conflict is concerned you know we are all human beings and all human beings across the globe uh, we all have the same we have anger we have love we have uh, you know hatred and we have emotions that run through all of us and i think one of the best ways to resolve conflicts uh, it would be to just kind of have an understanding if they are angry you don't get angry uh, try to understand what's really driving them, discuss with them separately, and try to resolve uh, issues. I have had a situation where I was uh, once given the charge of our operations in Vietnam. We had operations in Vietnam, and uh, that was my day one. I land in the morning, and I go to the, slice, to the plant, and I'm given to understand that the entire factory of 250 people, workers had gone on a strike because I had taken charge and uh, you know the general manager was removed prior to me going in. So the 250 people went on a strike. So when I go to the plant and I uh, observe that I have a situation, I walk to the main gate, I observe that I have a situation that the 250 people, none of them spoke English and I did not speak Vietnamese. So now we are not talking the same language. So it was, uh, you know, with this, I'm not a sign language expert, but, you know, with just, I said, I asked the people like, you know, who leader, right? And uh, five people pointed out, probably leader is a little bit of a global term that uh, three women, two men pointed out and said, ah, leader, leader. So I said, you, me, talk, office. Literally, I had to break up words. We went with this kind of broken uh, communication channel. Uh, we did manage to resolve the strike in five hours uh, to the extent that for three and a half years that I looked after that facility, we never had a strike. The productivity went up and we managed to turn the company around from loss making to profits. Uh, but to the extent that uh, I never learned Vietnamese in three and a half years, except for some key words. 
but um, uh, the leaders, uh, you know, the third year when there was the Chinese New Year festival, they had to go to, uh, there was a celebration. So I was there in Vietnam. I signed on their budget and I said, you guys have a good time. I have to go for board meetings to Germany, so I'll not be able to make it. The same five people who had gone on a strike about three years ago prior to that, they came to my office and they said, Mr. Parekh, you know come, we know celebrate, right? That was a major conflict, but then we could manage to resolve it. So I think the human conflicts can be resolved if we give them a patient hearing, understand what's really the underlying, uh, the, what are the undercurrents, uh, discuss with them. And uh, I'm sure if people want, if both sides want, any conflict can be resolved. I think in a word is communications. Exactly. Communication. Improved and simplified communication. And also listening as well. Uh, mm -hmm. Ask question, try to find out what it is and and listen. And I say this, I, I say this that don't hear, listen. Listen. That that's very yeah. correct. Yeah. Uh, we are, I guess, past our time. Oh my gosh, we have to do this again. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. David, the last word will be yours. And then we'll add this uh, episode for today. Thank you. I, I really like Sanjay, you know, you need to listen, not hear. Uh, there's a, a neurologist in America, her name is Luann Brizendine, and she wrote a book called The Female Brain. And one of the, the takeaways from that is men hear, women listen. So in this context, we need to understand that it's not just country culture, but it could also be gender, cross-gender kind of characteristics and practices that help us become better global citizens, help us become more effective in establishing these universal relationships. What a, what a great conversation, Mona. Sanjay, Khalid, thank you very much for letting me be a part of this discussion. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you, Mona. Thank you. Uh, one last thing, where can people find you if they'd like to reach out to you for more about Indian um, communities here in Orlando or around the United States and for Pakistanis as well? Absolutely. So as far as I'm concerned, um, you know, I can, um, I have my website, uh, Amson Consulting, uh -huh. A-M-S-O-N Consulting.com. Uh, mm -hmm. They can reach out to me on that. And I'm based in Orlando, Central Florida. I would love to uh, connect with people. And my email ID would be Sanjay at Amson Consulting.com. Very good. What about you, Khalid? I'm here in, uh, uh, based here in Orlando, Florida. Uh, I can be reached uh, at uh, my email, which is M-U-N-E-K-4 at AOL.com. Or if you just Google my name, you'll find me on the first four pages. <laughs> first four pages belong to me. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much again. You've been so kind and generous with your information. Uh, we will do this again. And until next time, stay connected, find out about people, and ask questions and just be respectful. So I wish you a very happy weekend and blessings and goodbye.